Crossway Church Sermon Audio. This morning is clearly a reward for the hot Sundays we've suffered this, uh, this summer, right? I mean, look at this. this is incredible. It's incredible. It's, uh, it should be like this every day. Uh, but the Lord's good to give us this on a Sunday morning. And uh, it's, I mean, frankly, he's made it, uh, he's made it possible for us to meet outside uh, all this time. It's been really glorious. I uh, want to say hi to those watching at home. We love you. We miss you. Hope you're doing well and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much, brother. Yeah. And um, we will be partaking in communion at the end, so please begin to prepare your hearts even now. Um, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but we'll be primarily in Hebrews 12, so you want to keep that uh, ready to go. It can be difficult to interact properly with the topic when you are dealing in the abstract. And in life, it can be challenging to make actual behavior fit with concept or principle, right? It can be hard to connect the metaphysical with the physical. But when you think about it, this really is so much of the Christian life. Think of this story from Scripture. Doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas, by the way, for millennia, he's, he's been known as Doubting Thomas. And I'm sure the guy didn't sin as much as some of the other guys. But anyway, Doubting Thomas. Jesus had resurrected. The other disciples, soon to be apostles, have seen him already. But Thomas has not. So Thomas makes one of the, when they tell him, he makes one of these bold pronouncements, unless I see, actually no, unless I put my fingers into the holes in his hands. Think about what he's doing there. He's trumping it. He's saying, you guys are out of your minds. I don't know what you're talking about. But unless I can put my finger in the holes, unless I can put my hand in his side where he was stabbed, I won't believe. He makes that kind of a pronouncement. And you can imagine what's going to happen next. If you know the Lord at all, of course, the Lord shows up. He comes in unannounced into a room where the house doors are locked. He just shows up and he offers for Thomas to go ahead and feel his wounds. And Thomas immediately worships. But then Jesus says this, and it applies to us today. It comes from John chapter 20. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas got to see. If he wanted to, he could have touched, but he could at least see. He had the physical evidence of ultimate truths. We don't have that. We can't see it. We can't touch. But Jesus says we're blessed. Those who have not seen and yet have believed. As amazing as it would have been to have walked with Jesus while he was on the earth, we are given a special category, a category that we Christians are in today. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We don't have those physical helps. Therefore, when we believe in him, we're blessed. 
Now today, we're going to take a bit of time to bring some focus to something that we can see and we can touch, something we need to take care of, our building, our property. It's that time of year when we collect building fund giving goals. We do that at, at this time every year. And uh, we wanted to give out the giving goal cards today. We didn't have them quite ready for you. In fact, uh, when Charlie Whitmer goes on vacation, we just struggle. So uh, that's what happened this morning. Charlie went on vacation, but all the ushers are picking up the slack, doing what they can. We do have the giving goal cards available. You can pick them up at the welcome table after. The ushers could make sure they're there. And also we'll have it online. I'll give you instructions on that later. But we give out the giving goal cards. We're going to collect those giving goal cards through the month and at the end of the month. And, and let me cut to the chase on this topic. I believe that God will use this message to work inside of us as individuals and as a church. This isn't the time to check out. It's the time to check in to see what God wants to teach us. He's going to help us grow in maturity in Christ. God wants to work in you today, even through this message. And this goes for our guests too. Guests, Thank you for coming today. We're very blessed. It's wonderful to have you here. This message is not a call for you to give to our building fund. We're not asking our guests to give to our building fund. Nevertheless, God's going to work in you through his word today, and I'm glad that you're here to hear it and to visit with Crossway Church today. So let me give you a simple theme so that you know where we're all going today, all right? Here's the simple theme. We build a temporary house for now. Because we have an unshakable kingdom forever. We build a temporary house for now because we have an unshakable kingdom forever. That's why we do it. Some might say, why the building? Well, this is why. We have an unshakable kingdom forever. Notice that I said we build. We build. Not we built, past tense, but we build, present tense. Because, frankly, it wasn't that long ago, eight years We've been in this building now. Eight years has past August. I know, it's amazing. It blows your mind. It's like, wow, has it been that long already? And that is mind-blowing. But at the same time, it's not that long. It took us 30 years from the time the church was planted to the time we opened our building, first time we had a building. It took us 30 years to get here. And eventually this phase will be behind us. But there's a very real sense where we're still paying for the building. We're still fitting it out. We're still finishing it up. This is sort of the new building phase of the life in Crossway Church. And what a phase it's been. But we are also, not only are we in the new, that phase of a new building, we're also still paying it off. We're servicing the mortgage, which is the reason why we do the building fund giving goals we count on the collective efforts, the teamwork of the church to say, yes, I tithe. I'm going to give this to the building. You can count on it. You can budget for it. I want to help with this. We're going to service the mortgage. We're going to make sure we keep our commitments to the bank. We're going to keep our good name in the community through doing so. We're going to meet our commitments, and then it's going to position us for even greater mission when the building's paid. It's giving us mission now. It's going to position us later. But not only that, we do want to finish the building out, namely the lower level, for the sake of children's ministry and pastor's offices, we hope, someday. We don't have offices yet. It's fine. We make it work. It kind of reminds me of church planting. I love that anyway. 
but that's why I say build instead of built. Because there's a very real sense in which it's ongoing. We build a temporary house for now. Because we have an unshakable kingdom forever. We build it for now. It's temporary. It's more permanent on this earth than a tent or something like that. We build it for now because we have an unshakable kingdom forever. Let me bounce back to our opening thoughts. I was talking about how it can be difficult at times to connect the concrete with the conceptual, the physical with the metaphysical. And this can be true about our property and building, so it's going to serve us today to think through why we're giving to a building fund. Why should I give my hard-earned money? Why should I take it from something that I, I want and give it to the church for the building? Why should I do that? Well, let me lay out two points today. First of all, because we've been given the unshakable. We've been given the unshakable. We are so materially slash physically oriented that we might even envy the old covenant at times. I don't mean to say that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's our life. We touch, we have five senses, we, we smell, we feel, we hear, we see. And we're oriented in that way. And the old covenant had a lot that you could see and hear and smell and taste and touch. It had a temple, it had an ark, it had priests with robes, it had sacrifices, it had incense, it had cleansing ceremonies. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 now, verses 18 to 21. Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 21. Paul, uh, excuse me, the author of Hebrews writes, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Do you remember what this is referring to? Thousands of years before this was written, Israel had come out of Egypt, out of slavery. They miraculously crossed the Red Sea, being saved by God. They traveled to Mount Sinai. And these verses here in Hebrews gives some description, some imagery of what the Israelites experienced there. It comes to us from Exodus chapters 19 to 24. And as you look over these words, consider the physicality of it all. There was fire, there was darkness, there were the elements of storm-like effects. Our senses can interact with each of those things. There was a sound of the trumpet, uh, and there was a voice so holy that it was terrifying to the fallen humans that heard it. The Israelites were so frightened by what their physical senses took in that they begged for it to stop. Even Moses trembled with fear. The Old Covenant had real sensory physicality to it. You know, even though we see that the full presence of God is a terror to the unforgiven sinner, we tend to want a more physical experience of God. In fact, I think sometimes that gets people into trouble because they so desire an experience that they can feel. Let me ask you, have you ever asked God for a sign Have you ever begged him to prove that he was real? Demanded that he prove 
that he exists, that he cares. When we do that, we are simply asking God to demonstrate himself to us in this sensory realm so that we can be satisfied. But there's a problem with this desire. In fact, Hebrews implies that this old covenant kingdom is shakable. It's shakable. And by shakable, the Scripture wants us to understand that metaphor is something that will be unseated. Something that's shakable is something that will be unseated, unsettled, uprooted, displaced. It's temporary. It moves along. It may point to something else, but it's not going to last. And you see the fire and the storm around Sinai did not continue. We're not even sure which mountain is actually Sinai today. The trumpet and the voice, they didn't continue. They don't go on this day sounding there at Mount Sinai for everyone to take and say, oh, there's God. The earthquake is not perpetually happening. No, these things happened in the temporal for a short time. Something more permanent was to take their place. And I'm going to read for you what takes their place. And as I read these things, notice that we're citing metaphor after metaphor concept after concept. These things, they're real, but you can't touch them yet. You can't see them yet. You can't take a map to get to these places. The scriptures are going to cite reality, real things, but they're not items that we can get at with our senses right now. We can't get out the GPS and make our way to these places, nor can we approach the people spoken of and interact with them. These are metaphysical realities. They're they're as real as you and I are here today. And more permanent, they're unshakable. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 29. Let me read this for you. Hebrews 12, 22 through 29. But you, speaking to the New Testament Christian, you have come to Mount Zion, Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And you see, the things that can be sensed, the things of this physical world, though good and necessary, are shakable. 
they can be removed. Think of setting up a column to be built on. Then grab that column with both hands and shake it with all your might to see if it will stand. What if it falls over? What if it comes out of the ground easily? What if the top breaks? Or what if half of it breaks while you're shaking it? Well, in that case, you remove it. You say it's not fit and you don't build on it. But what if you walk up to one of those columns that holds up the, uh, the balcony there where our, um, oh goodness, I, I want to call you the untouchables. That's not the right word. Where our very celebrated special group is uh, today. And thank you for coming out. Thank you for your faith to come and join in with God's people. What if someone were to grab one of those columns? What if the strongest person in the church? What if, what if Tom Bushy were to grab? What if Tony Freeman were to grab and shake? What if Quay Hanna? All right, guys, don't get insulted if I didn't mention you. Actually, it's a good thing. I can't think of any, like, muscle heads in the church. That's probably a good thing. But, you know, what if Danny Landis were to grab it and shake it? Even as strong as those men are, it wouldn't move. It wouldn't move in that sense, in the temporal sense. It's unshakable. That's what we have in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You, you grab it to shake it, and it shakes you. You cannot move it. It is immovable. It is that permanent. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. Unmovable, unremovable, unending, unchanging, never fading kingdom. We can't quite see it. There are elements we can see. There are things that point to it. We can't quite see it or feel it or smell it or taste it yet. But it's there. It's waiting for us. It's unshakable. It's what the Lord has built. It's what He's earned. It's what He's given to us in His sacrifices. Part of the gift that we have in Him. For those that stand firm in Christ Jesus, we have the permanence of an eternal life with Jesus Christ in His kingdom forever. We need the metaphysical, dear friends. Think of it. All the physical can be taken away. Everything, all of our senses can be taken away. Even our lives can be taken away. You can lose the sense of smell or taste. Our lives can be taken. Even our families can be taken for us. This building can be torn down. It can be burned down. This amphitheater can be filled in as easily as it was, as it was carved out. It could be filled back in. It's all temporal. But we have something in Christ Jesus that can never be manipulated, can never be stolen, can't be taken. It will not decay. It will not go away. It will be there when the time comes. That means the pressure on the Christian can be withheld could be stood up against because the kingdom that we have, the metaphysical, the ultimate reality, what all of this points to will be there. Absolutely. We build a temporary house for now because we have an unshakable kingdom forever. But that doesn't mean that the temporal has no value. So let's consider the temporal and the good, the temporal and the good. 
As I mentioned earlier, at times it can be hard to understand the connection between the physical and the metaphysical. But let's not make a mistake. They are connected, and we need to get them in the right order to navigate life in a way that brings glory to Christ. Just think of our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20 says this about our bodies, the Christian body. When you have Jesus Christ, this is what it means to have a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. It's not that your body will not die and decay. It's the way God interacts with this temporal thing, this good temporal body. And when you belong to Christ, it means he's purchased you and his Holy Spirit has come to be with you. And so the body that you have needs to be stewarded in such a way that demonstrates those metaphysical realities. There's the connection between the physical and the metaphysical. Yes, God cares about our bodies, and we are to care for the physical needs of others. Many scriptures on that, and we see through, throughout the scriptures and preach every week that truth needs to work its way out into life. It's critical for the Christian that we do so. In fact, where there is faith without works, and that faith, is it really faith, or is it simply dead? Like we've been taught, We are saved through faith alone, but that saving faith is never alone. The physical connects with the medical, the metaphysical. And when it comes to the building, over the years, we've used a a few different metaphors. And this is our way of seeking to understand the truths that would motivate us to sacrifice, to put money into something and energy and effort and much thought and planning into something that is so very material, right? So very physical. And in seeking to understand these truths, you may remember some of these metaphors that we use. First of all, we use the metaphor of a meeting house. A meeting house. Think of, think of that term, a meeting house. When you think of a house, you think of a place where family lives. You think of a home, and that's fitting, right? It's right to think of a home because the church is not really a business. It's not a place of work, although we do work in it. It's not a place of work. It's not an office building. The church is not a business, and therefore we build an office building. The church is a place where family comes together. And so it's a house, and it's a house where when we meet together, guess who's with us? The Lord is with us, and we make our home with him. And so we want a house to make that home. And what does this family do when we get together? We meet together. We meet together in the name of Jesus. So we need a facility that we can do that in. And the church has been finding facilities since they got kicked out of the synagogue in the first century at the very beginning of the church. And you can even see that in Acts 19 when the Christians get kicked out of the synagogue in Ephesus. First recorded moment of this, they go to the hall of Tyrannus to meet together. I assume that they were renting or they had some in. And I don't believe a church must 
own its own building, but if it can, then it can tailor that meeting house to function for its meetings, which is ideal, and hopefully it can, it can craft the, that, that facility, that meeting house for its meetings for a very long time. I'm hoping at least 50 years, unless the Lord wants to return sooner, in which case, let's get going. But at least 50 years, maybe 100, maybe longer. And in that case, this meeting house... Just think of it. If it serves that many generations, it's well worth our sacrifice. And that brings us to a second metaphor we've used. We've talked about the building being a tool. Anyone who uses tools will tell you that getting the right tool for the job makes the job more efficient, and it makes the outcome of the work more effective. Our building is a tool in the hands of our church, or maybe we should say it's in the hands of the Lord to do His work in us and through us. It's a tool in His hands, in our hands, to be used for His glory like we're doing right now and meeting together out here. And a third metaphor that we've used uh, for the building is an outpost an outpost, this comes from the military idea of setting up a base in enemy territory. Think about this. At the beginning of Acts, Luke, the author, lays out an outline. He doesn't really. Jesus lays it out. An outline of what's going to happen in the book. And he lays it out geographically. It comes from Jesus' command to the disciples, soon to be apostles, or envoys. They will be his witnesses. And they will begin in Jerusalem, then they're going to the next county, Judea, and then beyond that to Samaria, sort of concentric circles, if you will, and then to the whole earth. And I know that here in the U.S., we can believe that we're the center of the gospel story. We can think of ourselves in that way, but that's not really true. Not when you take the scriptures and history into account. If we take that gospel map out that Jesus has laid out for us and we locate Lancaster, PA on that map, then right here, right now, we are at the ends of the earth. And so is every other church in America. And so what we have here in this congregation is a gospel outpost that serves as a base of operations in enemy territory. And what this base of operations says, its very presence, it lets everyone know in this community that people that love Jesus Christ meet here. If you come to this base, you're going to find us. And then we go from here to share the good news about our Savior. This very material, very physical building... It's a tool, and, and, and it's a meeting house, and it's an outpost. I hope each of those metaphors are helpful because in each of them we're talking about principle, we're talking about truth, and we're applying it to life. And that's what the Christian life consists of, taking truth and applying it to life. What do we know about our Lord? What is true about Him? What has He done for us in the gospel to save us and make us His own? What brings Him glory and demonstrates that we belong to Him in this world? We take the answers to those questions and we apply them to our lives. And it's not only true for the individual Christian, it's true of the church. So let me give an example from just a couple of Bible pages before in Hebrews chapter 12. We get this 
passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 23 to 25. You know it well. We've used it often. It says, uh, I'm sorry, not Hebrews 12, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Okay, there are, there are the metaphysical or there are the principles the truths that are going to guide us, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So now he's calling us to apply the truth that we have that is unshakable and bring it into life. Verse 25, here it is. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near not neglecting to meet together, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here is a command of Scripture. Here's how it works out. Here's how the principle comes into practice. We are to meet together. Now, typically, this just means that pastors are preaching, hey, we need to meet together. It's really important. Make sure you come to church, participate, become a part, become a member, take your place in the body, live out your faith among a community of believers. And we say that. And then, you, then the care group leaders encourage their care group members to do that. And all the members encourage everybody else to do that. And when we have someone who comes to Christ and they're a new disciple, we tell them this truth, say, listen, we need to meet together. That's typically how we do this. But what does it mean when we're facing COVID-19? I don't think Doug needs that sheet later, so I'm going to leave it there. What does this passage mean when society is facing COVID-19? That we're to meet together. Well, here's what it means. It means the same thing that it always meant. It means that we're to meet together in the name of Jesus Christ and to not neglect doing so for the upbuilding of God's people. It's part of the Christian life. Now, please don't misunderstand. We work with the government in a reasonable fashion to demonstrate that we're subjected to governmental authorities. And we work in consideration for one another. We work reasonably with the realities of the disease itself. And we learn as we go and we become more reasonable as we go. So in our case, the way we've applied this, we didn't meet together for three months. Three months we did not meet. Then we began to meet outside and we're still in that phase where we're meeting outside. As the cold weather comes, and by the way, I think, it's, I think it's good timing that as the cold weather comes, we'll move back inside as we've learned more, as we learn how to deal with it, as we, we're set up, as we learn how to be considerate of one another where each one is, we move inside. We're taking it all one step at a time and as reasonably as, it, as we can. But we still need to understand this principle. Christians meet together. Ultimately, Christians must meet. We can't avoid it. And so while we have some, I think we have some flexibility, we, we can be reasonable and work with these things on the ground, ultimately it's not okay 
for the church not to meet. And we really need to meet. We need to actually be together. It has to happen. It's okay if you're not comfortable just today. It's okay if we're still learning on the learning curve. It's, it's all right. You can operate within your conscience, and you should do so knowing the full love of the church. But I'm hoping that as we go forward, more and more of us understand the importance of being together, of what that means for our growth, for our maturity. That as we tackle this one step at a time, we understand, okay, what fears are reasonable? What, what things may be just fear? What things are reasonable? How do I interact with those things and continue to apply the command of God to meet together? You see, we're not banking on the shakable things in life. We're, 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 we're not banking on things that are going to fade In other words, even our very physical lives, we're not banking on that as the ultimate thing. Well, let's be reasonable. We're we're not going to be wild. We're not going to be foolish. We're not going to be inconsiderate. But brothers and sisters, ultimately, even our very lives aren't the ultimate, ultimate thing. Even these are shakable. Even these will end up in the ground. And so ultimately, we need to understand and have more priority on the unshakable reality of God's kingdom that we're already a part of and we have forever, and it can't be taken away or moved. Not even COVID, not even deaths from COVID. Nothing can take it away from us. We need this. And let us acknowledge it even as we work our way back to the full meeting of the life of the church. It is the unshakable that we live and die by, not the shakable. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.